0: Wow, what a, what a wonderful delight to be with the people of God uh, on this great day. Uh, my name is Jacob, and uh, we're going to launch a new series today. So if you're a guest, um, my heartfelt gratitude to you uh, to be here. I know it took some courage, uh, and this is the perfect time to be here. The first message in a series is always the best time to, to be in a new place. Uh, and so, Church, would you just welcome all of our guests uh, that are here? And a special grateful welcome to our global community around the world. There are people around the world that call Victory Life Church their home church, uh, and that geography is not a boundary or limitation to the Spirit of God, uh, that the Word of God transcends geography, it transcends time. Uh, and so wherever you are in the world, we say thank you for being here. All right, if you will open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, I'm starting a series that I have entitled Jesus Over Everything. And it's because Jesus is over everything. We're going to talk for the next five weeks on uh, through the book of Colossians. I'm not doing a verse-by-verse study, though myself and people like me would just go really giddy over that. Um, I'm not going to push you too far too fast. We're just going to look at some themes in the book of Colossians and get an elevated view of Jesus. Um, The book of Colossians was foundational and transformational in my life in being committed to Jesus, in surrendering my life to him, in surrendering my call and purpose to him. Uh, Jesus really is everything. Everything. Uh, and Colossians gives us that vision. The purpose of our church is to see people transformed by Jesus. To see people transformed by Jesus. Religion is not going to transform you. Rules and regulations will not transform you. Philosophy will not transform you. Having a new moral code will not transform you, though Christianity has facets of all of those things and Hopefully, I'll touch on a few of those things uh, while we're in this series, but it's not what transforms you. Jesus transforms you, and uh, maybe you grew up, uh, maybe you were a part of a dead church, and legalism was inflicted upon you. Uh, There's many that I know that have turned their back on Jesus because the image they have of Jesus and the Christian faith is one of, of mean-spirited, judgmental legalism, and that's their image of who God is, and so they've turned their back on, on the faith. And I know there's many here today, uh, those joining us online, that maybe you just didn't grow up Christian. Maybe Christianity was something that maybe you occasionally visit a church with a family member, begged you to be there, um, or you just, you just aren't familiar, you don't know. The Christian faith. Or maybe you're a committed part of this church and have been captured by Jesus and you want to grow. Well, there is no growth outside of Jesus. What you'll, what you'll find is that growth in maturity is consistently and constantly and creatively coming back to Jesus over and over and over and over. There is no bottom to the depths of who Jesus is. It is eternal for us to see him and know him as he is, and it is only in knowing him that you and I are transformed. It is only in seeing him clearer and clearer, and part of my personal mission in life is to give people a fresh vision of the real Jesus. Because if you have grown stagnant or bored in your Christianity, I would guarantee it's because at some level you walked away from Jesus. You might still be a believer, you might still love, have this idea of a love for Jesus, you may even still be a faithful church attender. But if you've hit a stagnation in your Christian walk, my, my challenge for this series is to get you off high center and get you fully committed to Jesus, get you to see Jesus clearer and clearer, and I believe Colossians is the way to do that, <laughs> and we'll just see. I don't know, maybe i maybe I got too much uh, goal in mind. Today, we're only going to look at six verses, but there is a universe inside these six verses, and there's no way I could describe, explain, or expound on all that is in these six verses. I'm just going to hit a highlight, and yet it'll take us the full time, but in this highlight, uh, showing you how Jesus really is supreme over everything. I'm going to read these six verses, uh, and then we're going to dive in. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 to 20. Uh, It may be helpful. I don't know if you do these kinds of things. But I've started to make a habit of getting these little uh, journals, these Bible journals, where it has the Scripture on one side and then it has journal spaces on the other side. And it wouldn't hurt for you to get this tiny little book of Colossians uh, and just start journaling on what the Lord is showing you, that your Christian walk and the development of your faith should happen beyond the Sunday morning service. Uh, the journey of your Christian walk should have more than Sunday morning uh, high points. It should have consistent walking with the Lord and consistent growing in the scriptures. Uh, and I want to help you with that. If you don't know what to do, if you, don't, if you don't know how to get in scriptures, just park in Colossians for the next month or so. Uh, and and I'll, I'll help you see some things there. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and I'll, where it says he, uh, I'll refer to Jesus in this, because this is what this is about. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The whole everything, everything, everything is about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And the more we can understand that, the faster, the further we will grow and mature. And I want to see Jesus like Paul is explaining Jesus here. Paul is writing to a tiny little church in a know-nothing town. Scholars say there's about 20 people in the city of Colossians, which is a town that, whose heyday was about two or three centuries earlier. It was on its way out, basically. It was a small town nowhere uh, that, that had long been neglected and forgotten by the empire, And Paul's writing to 20 people, about 20 people, getting them to see the majesty, the beauty, and the preeminence of Jesus. This six verses is thought to be an early hymn in the church, that Paul is taking this hymn and writing this little letter with this as a main pillar and theme of us seeing Jesus, and even, in a sense, singing about Jesus, growing in our understanding about Jesus. And so this hymn uh, is, is putting Jesus at the very forefront of our hearts and minds and lives. And the center of this hymn that everything revolves around is in the second half of verse 18, where it says that he, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In Everything. Nothing is outside of his preeminence. Now, preeminence is not a word we use very commonly. Uh, preeminence means the highest honor, first place, you could think of it that way, a place of special honor. Uh, another synonym for preeminent is supreme. That there is supremacy in Jesus, he is supreme over everything. There is nothing that is over his supremacy. Everything, everything in the entire universe is about Jesus. There is nothing outside of his preeminence. And I will probably annoy you at the number of times I will assert this over and over and over and over because I think we have pushed Jesus to the side and the periphery and we've elevated so many things above him, even without us knowing it. There's no accusation in my voice towards you. There's, there's simply reflection on me of the number of times without thinking, without trying, I drift and allow other things to take supremacy over Jesus in my life. And so I'm, I'm pushing this for my own sake, um, but also for our church's sake, because I don't know if you know this, but these are crazy times. <laughs> it's a bit of a wild year. And there's so many things vying for your attention. There's so much fear, so much chaos, so much destruction, and so much deception. And the church is highly motivated by fear. And it is a wrong motive. It's borderline sin. And we drift. And there's so many things trying to capture your attention And I, just as one other voice in your life, am trying to draw you back to the only one that is supreme over all, which is Jesus. Over and over and over and over until I bludgeon your mind and heart with this. Jesus is over everything. And his preeminence, his supremacy, is to be seen through us. And so let me just show you just all the ways these six verses is putting in front of us what Jesus is supreme over as a way of saying he's over everything. And I'm going to show you seven, and there's at least nine. There's probably more. But I'm only going to show you seven just to get the totality of this as best I can and as quick as I can. Because if I went in the other two, we'd be here a lot longer than just this one surface. <laughs> but there's other things in Colossians we have to get to. So, so let's just go back through these six verses, let me just show you all that Paul is doing here, this apostle, believing that these 20 people in a nowhere town are at the center of God's activity in this world by being in Jesus. Let me just say that again. Paul is writing to 20 people and does not consider this a wasted effort. He believes that if these 20 people or so people are in Christ, they are at the very center of God's activity in the whole world. And many of us are in nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, amongst nobodies, and think that we're on the outside of what God is doing. And yet, in Jesus, you and I are at the very center of what God's doing in this world. Verse 15 first line he that's jesus is the image of the invisible god image there is a greek word icon that should evoke some ideas or images of that this greek word icon alone this this verse alone is worth like slowing down and examining what scripture is saying but but for for brevity's sake paul is accomplishing two things at the same time in one word icon could mean a manifestation of, like a portrait or a picture. That a picture is a manifestation of something. It's a way of seeing something. A manifestation of. And so Paul is saying that Jesus is the manifestation of the invisible God. But if the manifestation is a perfect manifestation, it is also a representation. Meaning, Whatever you think God is like, he is like Jesus. And if you have any idea about who God is or what God is like in his character or in his activity and you cannot reconcile it in Jesus, it is a wrong idea. It's incorrect. Whatever we think the invisible God to be like, we have to see it in Jesus. And all of us have different ideas about who God is and what God is like. We're in a world where we are in the mix of two worldviews where one worldview comes around and says God is just an invention of human imagination or the invention of power structures to keep dumb people enslaved. Or another idea that God is just some cosmic force and energy That really it's about you, but where God comes in, whatever God is, it doesn't really matter, Jesus, Buddha, Hinduism, whatever it is, what matters is that you become one with the universe. you sense the energies, the divine energies of whatever this force is. We'll talk a little bit about worldviews next week. But whatever you think God is like, You have to see it in Jesus. Now, chances are the the majority of those who have joined us probably haven't been immersed in those kinds of worldviews. What is probable is that many of you have been in a system that tries to convince you God is ticked off at you. That he is some judge on the judicial bench of the top of the universe, nitpicking like some cosmic accountant trying to make sure your books stay reconciled and they just never will. You'll always be in the red and you deserve judgment for that. The problem is, is that that's not what Jesus is like. And so whatever your understanding of God is, It has to be reconciled in Jesus. And any image of God you have in your mind that Jesus does not represent or manifest is a wrong image. And so Paul is saying the way you know God is that you see Jesus clearly. Whatever understanding you have about God must be your understanding about Jesus. If you'll understand Jesus correctly, you'll understand The Father, you'll understand God correctly. But that's just one thing he's doing, and that is an immense explanation uh, that I'm just trying to be brief with. The second one is a little trick he's doing by using this word image. If you are uh, from a biblical worldview, or in that case, you were immersed in the Old Testament scriptures, you would hear image, and it would take you back to the first chapter of scripture, where God creates the heavens and the earth. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he creates man. And in Genesis 1:26, he says, let us make man in our image. The word used there, if it's translated in Greek, which the Old Testament, a couple hundred years before Jesus, was translated into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint, the word used there was icon. That mankind was made to be the image of God, that God made mankind to represent his character and authority in the world. That image there is a royal word, that mankind, all of mankind, not just kings and tyrants, but all of mankind was given the dignity of bearing God's image. But if you continue the story forward two chapters later, mankind just ruins it. What we are, well, if you just read scripture, what you'll recognize is that humans are incredible at messing things up. We're so creative uh, about messing all this up. And so sin corrupted and distorted how mankind bears God's image, and we needed saved. And so what Paul does in this one line of verse 15 is he says, Jesus is supreme over both our understanding of God and our understanding of the, what humans were meant to be. What humans were meant for, Jesus manifests. What humans were created for, Jesus is the perfect kind. Whatever human beings were created for, Jesus manifests. And again... In a clash of worldviews that we're in today, one worldview says that human beings are nothing but a random assortment of molecules and the progressive evolution of the universe. Or another, another worldview is that humans are simply souls trapped in a body, that the best thing we can do is become at one. Human, what humans are for is to just be one, with the universe, and sense the eternal forces internally. It's not what human beings are for. But legalism tries to bludgeon you into thinking that what humans are for is to screw things up and God to judge. (laughs) Right? And Jesus destroys all of that. Jesus is supreme over Whatever we think God is like, we have to see it in Jesus. Whatever we think humans are for, we have to see it in Jesus. Jesus reveals both who God is in his character, in his presence, in his personality, and what human beings were made for. More explanation on that maybe another time, but you just need to see this first. And this is verse, the first half of verse one. The second half comes with a little bit of a confusing language. It says in verse 15, the second half, that he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, there's many religions out there that try to use that verse to to bring Jesus lower than divinity. That, well, Jesus is is a human being, however, he was the first created entity. And that's not what Paul's saying. This word firstborn there is not used uh, to say that he was first in time as if he was a created entity. Now the word firstborn there is a place of authority, a place of honor, a special place. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 22, um, God says that Israel, the nation of Israel, is his firstborn. Israel was not the first nation on the planet, but it's the place of elevated honor and authority. It's the the group by which God will use to manifest his presence and his power and his kingdom in the world. In Psalm 89, I think it's verse 27, um, the Messiah, the future Messiah is called the firstborn of all the rulers of the earth. It It wasn't to say the first in time. It's to say the place of elevated authority. And you can see that he expounds upon this idea that Jesus is in the place of elevated authority over all creation because he expounds it in verse 16. Verse 16 says, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. So everything you see and everything you can't see in the universe, not just the physical universe, but he says in heaven and on earth, the things we see and the things we can't see, even power structures, thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, all things Everything was created through him and for him. We'll zoom in on that phrase towards the end when we start talking about you. I don't want to talk about you first. I want to talk about Jesus first. All things, meaning you cannot look at creation and not see Jesus' role in creating it. You can intentionally blind yourself to it. You can deceive yourself away from it. But everything you see was created by him and that word there it even means in him that this universe comes from the creative imagination of Jesus. Everything you see which also is to say we're either in submission to that reality or in rebellion to that authority, to that reality which is a way of understanding thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities All power structures must bend their knee to Jesus. All. All power structures, which means power structures are either submitting to the one true king or in rebellion to the one true king. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. Yes, the Father as the creator is the creator, but the agency from which he creates is the Son that we know as Jesus. All things, everything, 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 everything was created in him, by him, through him, and for him. He is, verse 17, he is before all things, meaning like there's nothing, it's not even, that's not even a statement about time. It's that all things originate from him, And in him, all things hold together. All the laws of the universe that keep things from devolving into chaos comes from the creative imagination of Jesus. Even the very molecular structure of the universe, the nucleus of atoms, are held together by Jesus Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that He, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Everything is held together by Jesus. And if the atomic structure of the universe is held together by Jesus, then why would we think that our marriages could be held together by anything else? How would we think that our emotional health could be held together by anything other than Jesus? All things, all th- in Him, all things hold together. So you need to see Jesus as supreme over all of creation. Everything that exists exists because of Jesus, from Jesus, through Jesus and for Jesus, which includes you and I. But we'll get to you and I in a minute. Verse 18, the second half of verse 18 is that he is the beginning. Think of that as source waters. Like the beginning of a river, the source of a river. All things flow through him. And then it says, the firstborn from the dead. Now here, Paul's doing a number of things. He's reminding us that at the very center of everything is the resurrection of Jesus. Not just the atoning death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. And so what is he, what is he doing? He's pulling the storyline, you could say the flow of this poem from creation to new creation. That when you say he's supreme over all creation and then you look at all creation and say, well, this thing is messed up. And it's because what has messed up this creation is not the creator. The creation that he gave authority to, Humans. And humans brought in sin and death. And so the creator also becomes the redeemer by taking on sin and death himself and even death couldn't beat Jesus. And so because he was raised from the dead, now he pulls you and I out of the graves of our life. He pulls you and I out of the sin and death and destruction of our lives. Jesus is supreme over sin and death. There is no sin that you and I have ever committed that is stronger than Jesus. There is no mistake you've ever made that has put you outside of Jesus' redemption. There is no darkness you're a part of complicitly or it just happened to you that Jesus is not stronger than. There is no addiction you're caught in that Jesus is weaker than. Jesus is victorious over sin and death and he pulls us out of the darkness and the pit that sin in our lives puts us in. That the one who created you, loved you enough to also redeem you. And then make you a part of the new thing he's doing. New creation. And so Jesus, supreme over sin and death, also becomes supreme over new creation. This story is moving somewhere. And the guide of this story is Jesus. That what you see in the chaos and destruction is not the final word. I mean, I have concerns about our world just like you do. I'm seeing the same things you're seeing. And what gives us hope in the midst of the despair? What gives us hope in the midst of the profound corruption and deception that many are falling prey to? What makes us hold on rather than give in to despair. It's that Jesus is moving us somewhere. And that somewhere is new creation, where the promises in your New Testament is not the final place where we go is not somewhere in another universe we call heaven. The final place we go is new heavens and new earth, which Peter says is where righteousness and justice truly dwell that there will come a day where God remakes the universe. The universe that was made by him can be remade by him. Not just somewhere else, but new heavens, new earth, because he dealt with sin and death, and now he's bringing, what what he says in other, other parts in Corinthians and Ephesians and Romans is that you and I that are in Christ we are already a part of that new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You already are a new creation. He says in Corinthians and Romans that because of the Holy Spirit that we've received, we've received the down payment of what he will follow through on over everything. And you and I are in the middle between creation and new creation, He's taking this story somewhere, and it's not just controlled by election cycles. The story that Jesus is writing through history, the direction he's moving all of us in history is not controlled by election cycles. Are they important? Absolutely. Is it wise to exercise your liberty and your privilege of voting? Absolutely. Is it important? Absolutely. But it is not where our hope lies. It lies in Jesus Christ. Because the one who created also is pleased to redeem. Verse 19, Jesus is not some nobody. Jesus is not even just a great teacher. He's not just a good person. Verse 19, for all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Meaning, the one who created didn't just redeem from far away. The one who created time and space enters into time and space in Jesus. For what? Verse 20. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, how many things? All things. To reconcile all things. He did that by making peace through the blood he shed on the cross. That he took the problem personal and bore the problem of sin and death in himself. There is no religion or worldview or belief system that can even hold a candle to that light. There might be good ideas out there, and you and I might be able to learn from a lot of different ideas. I'm preaching next week's sermon. But what we see in Jesus is what no religion belief system, or worldview could even imagine that the one who created the universe saves the universe. And not just to wad it up in the trash, but to reconcile, to reconcile all things to himself because he took the penalty himself. He shed his own blood. He didn't demand the sacrifice of his people. He sacrificed himself to redeem us and to reconcile us. Jesus being supreme over reconciliation means that there is no reconciliation with God outside of Jesus. There might be many paths that lead to Jesus, but there are not many paths that lead to the Father. There is Jesus, and that's it. Because only Jesus deals with the real problem, and the real problem is not the other political party. It's not another race. It's not another culture. It's not another social class. It's not another economic class. That's not the problem. The problem is right at the very center of us, our sin. And only one, God made only one solution to that. Jesus. He's the only one that can reconcile us to God. But because he's the only one that can reconcile us to God, he is the only way you and I can be reconciled to each other. There is no peace outside of Jesus. There's only maybe a temporary resting of arms without Jesus. And I see the division. It's now the volume is cranked to 20 on the social problems of our world. And there's many propositions of what's going to salvage it. And I have my opinions, and probably not from a platform, but there will be a way I will talk you through how to think about these things, how to understand them, how to deconstruct false worldviews, how to recognize poisonous worldviews when you hear them with lies so clever they sound like the truth. But for another day, right now, I simply want to turn the volume up on the one solution. There is no cultural reconciliation without Jesus. There is no racial reconciliation without Jesus. As much as it is needed, it cannot happen without Jesus. As much as there needs to be economic justice and reconciliation, it cannot happen away or outside of Jesus because Jesus dealt with the real problem and the real problem is you. The real problem is me. And as much as I want to blame all the problems on somebody else, some other culture, some other race, some other political party, they might be complicit in the problem, but the real problem is me. And I need Jesus. I need Jesus to reconcile me to God. And I need Jesus to help me reconcile with you. And if the church can and will not do it, it cannot and will not be done. And so let's zoom in to you. Verse 16 again, the last phrase of verse 16. It says all things were created through him and for him. Where is your part in this hymn, in this poem? Because I am not in the in the poem. We have to find ourselves somewhere in this poem. And you and I are a part of the all things he created. And why? Why is there something instead of nothing? See, that's where if you hold a modernist or scientific worldview, and again, I'm not degrading science. Science has a place, it has value, it is important, it has a voice, it's just not the final word. There is a worldview that makes all things science the final word. And when whatever that has taken place in our our world that worldview cannot answer the question, why? It might be able to answer the question, how? It might be able to describe the what, but it cannot answer the question, why? That lies solely in this worldview. God created it. Why? Through him and for him. Through him and for him. Why are you here and not? Like why are you here instead of not being here? I don't know, maybe nobody thinks about these things. <laughs> At some point in time, everybody either has asked the question or will ask the question, why am I here? And what am I here for? We 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 talk about things of meaning or purpose. We certainly are having a national conversation about identity, and there's so many other powerful, strong, and destructive voices trying to get you to define your own identity, or control the forming of your identity into some tiny little narrow thing, as if the totality of your personhood is made up simply by your skin color. Or that your identity is solely formed on the successes you can mark in your career. Or your identity being formed around your social acceptance. These are all extremely narrow forms of identity. You were made. You did not just happen. Even if your parents say you were an accident... You were made, you were fashioned, you were created. And if there is a creator behind the creation, then it is the creator that gets to define the why. Why you are here is defined by one, the one who made you, and the one who gave his life to redeem you. So he's the one who forms who you are and why you are here, your purpose. Why are you here? What is the meaning of your life? What is the purpose of your life? You were made for him. You weren't just made by him or through him. You were made for him, which is a way of saying you were made to be brought into relationship with the creator. And you were made as his image to bring him glory. That's why you are here. That's who you are, and only Jesus defines that for you. No preacher, no politician, or no political pundit can tell you why you're here. Only Jesus can tell you. what You are made for him. You were fashioned uniquely and creatively for the sole purpose of knowing God. And in knowing him, and only in knowing him, can you live out why you are here. And so who you are is defined not by your sin, not by your past, not by your social group, not by the tone of your skin color. You are here because God has purpose for you. He has meaning for you. There is nothing you've ever done that could disqualify you from God's purpose in your life. Nothing. You cannot Disqualify why you are here simply because of mistakes. God qualifies you. That's what he says a few verses earlier in verse 13 of chapter 1. That he says he qualifies you to be a partaker of the inheritance. He qualifies you. You cannot qualify yourself. You can choose to turn your back on it, but no mistake can fully disqualify you. And so Jesus is supreme over your identity and your purpose. Don't let someone take his throne over your life. Don't let let any group, don't let any person, especially if they're doing it in the name of Jesus, take control over defining your identity or defining your purpose for you. God made you specifically. Every gift and talent you have was deposited there by God. You're given stewardship of it, which means you and I are responsible for developing that gift, but it was not deposited there because by chance it happened to be there, which means everything he has done in you is for him. Every gift, every ability, Every talent, and no one is disqualified this. This this isn't just for some special class of Christians. This is all things were created through him and for him. Every gift and talent, every ability you have is there for the sole purpose of bringing glory to your creator and your redeemer. Every dollar you make is for the sole purpose of bringing Jesus' glory. In verse 17, he is before all of that, supreme over it all, and in him all things hold together. Again, there's many people trying to control the shaping and formation of your identity, and they cannot hold it together. Any group... Any person that shapes your identity or purpose that is not Jesus will ultimately lead towards the unraveling. And that's what we see at a national level. The unraveling is not just because of people. It's because of sin that we've let define us. It's because of our flesh we let define us and you see the unraveling. And bringing it all back together It's not going to happen by just voting your particular politician into office. All things hold together through Jesus. And here at the center of this poem, we do find where we are. It's the church. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Where do you and I fit in? The church, his body. He's the head over the church. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. He's doing something in you, in me, with us. The church stands right at the center between creation and new creation. Where God is taking it, where God is taking this whole world, new creation. The vehicle is the church. It's the church that tastes and sees that the Lord is good. It's the church in Christ. Not a new system, but a new position in Christ stands in the middle between creation that's broken by sin and death and new creation where righteousness and justice truly dwells in Christ. And that position is held in Christ. And though you individually matter, you individually cannot reveal new creation. Why? Because I'm an idiot. (laughs) If you only look at me, you're gonna be like, I don't know. Seems okay, but. No, it's us together. It's us together that work towards reconciliation. That because we stand in between creation and new creation, we still are tempted with selfishness. We're still tempted with immaturity. Because I I would say it's a safe bet that almost everyone in here has been hurt by a church person. Or church people. <laughs> More than one. Why? Because man, we love God and we're total idiots. We make dumb mistakes. We say really dumb things. So, what do we need? We need to continually recognize that's not who we are. And that's not why we're here for some selfish church politic reason. How stupid is that? And we all are complicit to that stupidity. No, but we also are in Christ, which means we're already a new creation. Learning to live that out, which is what the rest of this series will be. It's how to live this out, how to live out Jesus' supremacy. But Jesus is supreme over the church, and the church is his body, the organism by which he speaks and acts. Whatever God is doing in the world today, he will do through his church, no other vehicle. I'll say more by not saying it. (laughs) So there's some things I will not say. But whatever God is doing, he does through his church. And so his church is at the very center of his activity, which means we are letting, we are either letting him lead or we're letting whatever our agenda is lead. We're letting some cultural narrative lead. We're letting some other group. Tell us what we should think and what we should do. Jesus is the head, which means the body is the servant. <laughs> your, your, your brain doesn't do anything. It originates things, and your body has to do it. Your body is in service to your mind, which means We can abuse our bodies and make them unfit for use of the higher purpose of our mind. In the same way, the church is warned. You can abuse your body. The church can abuse itself and make it unfit for a greater purpose from the head. The head doesn't make the body unfit. We are given the dignity and freedom to make choices. We are either remaining reconciled to Jesus or veered off on our own agenda and our own plan. And Paul here is just screaming at us, bludgeoning us over and over and over and over and over and over. Jesus is supreme over everything, and it's the church. Even these 20 people in a rundown town, he says, You are at the very center of what God's doing in this world. The message Bible of the last three verses says this He, Jesus, was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning, To end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe get fixed and fit together because Jesus paid the ultimate price. And you and I, we don't just need to be instructed, we need to be reminded over and over and over and over that Jesus really is over everything, and nothing gets truly fixed, nothing gets truly repaired apart from Jesus. It's just a temporary fix at best. Whether that be your heart that has fallen apart because of fear or because of broken relationships, because of people that hurt you, maybe it's because of sin that you've committed That your life has fallen apart, or even zooming out, that our nation we see is falling apart. And there's so many around the world, our world is falling apart. This is not new, and it is not news to Jesus. Each of us can participate in what God is doing solely and completely and only because of Jesus. And so for many of us, we need to repent. And I'm not just talking about the sinner's prayer here. I'm talking about you and I need to repent for allowing things to take the throne of our lives. We let fear take the throne of our lives and control us and define us. We let politics and partisanship control and define us, and we commit idolatry. We let our careers, we let our money take the throne of our life and control us. We let our selfishness and our selfish agendas control us and define us. And we need to repent. Not because God's mad at you, but because he has purpose for you. That as long as we are worshiping at the altar of anything other than Jesus, we are limiting how Jesus works through us. And it is a road towards self-destruction, towards poison and corruption. And with whatever I can do, I'm calling us back to Jesus. That might be for the first time, Maybe you have never known Jesus. Maybe this whole Jesus thing is totally new for you. Or maybe that you were hurt and broken by legalism and a dead church, and you walked away from Jesus. And I'm calling us all back to Jesus. That there is no answer for this broken world apart from Jesus. There is no healing for this broken world apart from Jesus. There is nothing apart from Jesus. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus only. And you and I are to be found in him. And so that's my call today for you. And I want to pray for you. I don't want to just pray for people who might be coming to faith. Maybe that's you and you sense something drawing you. it's for all of us to have a moment with the Holy Spirit to check our hearts. Have we let anything take the throne of our own hearts? Because if we have, whatever path that takes will only lead towards destruction, no matter how good it sounds right now. So if you would bow your heads for a moment. And I want you to just be present to Jesus. Jesus is not just some cosmic force. He's certainly not some distant deity. He's present in and through his church, which means he's right here, right now. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're at in your life, Jesus is right here. There's no anger. There's no wrath towards you. There's no malice towards you. There is only redemptive love. He made peace because he shed his own blood and just simply calls us to himself. Jesus is not some side gig. He's not just some supplemental religious thing. Jesus is king and lord, but he's redeemer and reconciler. And so right now, where you're at, listen to what the Spirit of Jesus is pointing us towards. Is it repentance? Then we repent, which means we turn, which means we let Jesus have His way. We must recognize we are not in control. We can deceive ourselves and think we're in control. But I would say the one who redeemed you, the one who gave his life for you, is safe to trust with your whole life. He's safe. He can be trusted. So, Jesus, we we repent for letting our passions, letting our fears, Letting our pride take the throne of our lives. We repent for letting any other entity try to define us or control us. So we come to you. And that we are not found in our own righteousness, our own holiness, that is of nothing. But may we be found in you with your righteousness, with your holiness. And so we submit to you. Holy Spirit, you are speaking and working. Begin to define, not just today, but through the course of this week, this series, and our whole lives. You define who we are. You define why we're here. Your sheep hear your voice, the voice of a stranger we will not follow. So may we hear your voice that speaks a better word, that speaks the word of love and reconciliation. We listen to you. Jesus, we submit to you. believe that there are many hearts I realize that everyone's in a different part of their story everyone's in a different part of their life with all different kinds of growth and maturity and hurt and brokenness Jesus really is the only answer and maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus and if that's you I do want to give you a moment to say I need Jesus. I'm not asking you to understand everything. There is a place for knowledge and understanding, but right now the first step towards Jesus is always and will ever always be surrender. If that's you and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, even those joining us online, there'll be a link in the chat or come up on screen that says I, I want to surrender to Jesus we want to connect with you And if you're in the room and you want to surrender your life to Jesus I'm just gonna ask something very simple but it will take some courage I believe that there'll be many opportunities through this series for you to come to Jesus. But if you're ready to take that step, I'm not even going to ask any, anything of you in this moment except to take the step towards Jesus by allowing us to connect personally with you. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you've walked away, but you want to return, after the service, there's ministry team members here at the front that would love to lead you in a prayer of surrender to Jesus or the Connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you. Let a pastor personally reach out to you. Maybe you have questions. Maybe there's things you feel like you need to understand before you say yes. We want to help you on that journey. But My encouragement to you today is don't let anything stop you from stepping toward Jesus. Jesus, we surrender to you. And may we, your church, in surrender and submission to you, be a vessel of your new creation work of redemption and reconciliation in this city, in this county, in this state, in this country, and in this world. So we surrender to you and commit our lives to you. We repent of letting anything take the throne of our lives. And we return to you. Thank you for doing the work in us. And then doing the work through us. To bring many to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I pray our hearts remain tender to your voice. And to your leadership. In seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.